Hold on, because they got the goddamn. And we're live. Welcome back to the Digital Creators Podcast. Uh, we're in the studio with Tim. What's up, Timmy? AKA THW, <laughs> THW Visuals. What's going on? Um, so, Tim Whitlock is a Perth based DOP or Director of Photography who predominantly creates films in the automotive industry. Tim has designed and built his own car film rig, which he has captured some of the best car footage out of Perth. Last year, Tim co-created a platform, Revved Up TV, where he interviews people with interesting cars and interesting stories. Um, recently, one of his BTS reels reached up to 2.4 million views. Damn, son, where'd you find this? Um, which is, yeah, that one. 2.4 million views. Um So in this episode, we're going to learn about how Tim got into filmmaking, why he's interested in cars. Uh, we're going to learn more about Revd Up TV, his film gear, and goals for the future. Yeah, so I'm very excited. Um, I guess first question is, how did you get into filming cars? Were you one of those kids that little, played with little cars and trucks as oh, a kid? Oh, yeah, I was actually. Yeah, <laughs> I had like a John Deere tractor and stuff when I was like four. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, um, you're, you're one of those special kids with the <laughs> played with the trucks. Uh, the I live like I grew up in Esperance, and there's like heaps of farming and stuff around. So like I saw heaps of farm stuff. Yeah, dad worked on a farm for a while, so it's like I saw the tractors. I thought that was pretty cool being like a young boy. That's most sure. most are uh, growing up. Um, but yeah. then I got into filming cars. Oh like 2016 with a GoPro, just like we're going camping and stuff and we're filming like just the antiques and the stuff we get up to, just driving around the sand dunes, swimming at the beach. Little um, vlogs or? Nah, just like little random clips and stuff just to show people what we're up to and just stuff like that, yeah. Was this down in Esperance? Nah, this is um like just down south, like oh, yeah. Collie and that and the dams and that. So how long did you live down south? Oh, we lived there till like I was four. Oh, okay. And moved to Perth, yeah. Oh, okay. So you didn't actually, you weren't like working on the farm or anything? Nah. No. And then uh, like once you moved to Perth, how did that turn into more interesting cars? Um. Well, to take it back a bit further, like, and filmmaking. Yes. Yeah, so I started riding BMX when I was like 12 and um, we'd be at the skate park and we'd always make like little web edit videos and stuff. Yeah. And um, that was pretty cool, we thought. And I had this old Sony Handycam, which I still have and still sometimes film stuff with because it's just got like a really retro look. Um, yeah, that's like how I got into filming and then... I did, like, a media course at school um, after that. Then I kind of didn't do it for a while. Like, I just wasn't filming and stuff like that. Then we started doing the camping things and, like, just full driving and, like, just the fun stuff we're up to, like cliff jumping and all that. Outdoor activities. Yeah, heaps of outdoor activities. And then 2016, um, I saw... A video on YouTube, this guy had, like, filmed this car. I can't even remember what it was now, but I thought that was pretty cool. Um, maybe I can do that. So started sure. filming more stuff with another GoPro and um, bought my first camera in 2017. It was a Sony A6000 with a little 18 to 50 kit lens. Had, like, this shitty JB Hi-Fi tripod. Um, I think I've used that camera. It's horrible. Yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't even have, like, a, the log profile in the picture, so it's... You can work with it, though. Like, you can yeah. make it work. Um, yeah, so I used that for probably a year. Then I upgraded to the 6300, which had, like, S-Log and all that. Um, from there, I sort of... I wasn't filming a lot of car stuff. I actually started filming a few things with a local Nitro Circus athlete. We went over to Melbourne to a show... Um, Filmed the Perth show with them, did some stuff with them for a while. It was pretty fun. And then I was filming, I was shooting a lot of stills at the time, like street stuff, like a lot of street stuff. 
Um, and then after that, I kind of slowly got back into cars like 2019. Um, friends had a few cool cars at the time. And into 2019, I was like, man, I want to get like something to get like better rolling shots with. Mm. So I tried to <laughs> tried to recreate like the flow scene black arm with just like some stuff that we had from Bunnings, like bits of steel and like these two, um, like those door, you know, like the, what are they called? You know, like those shitty doors you have on like front of houses with like the aluminium doors and it's like that air closer thing. Is it like a... Like stop some slamming and stuff. Oh, know? yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know yeah. This. So it had it's like... like air compressed. Yeah, a little in the yeah. piston thing. Um, <laughs> so we had two of them on this little arm thing and it was attached to like a wooden frame and that would hang out the back of the car kind of and the gimbal would attach to a vibration isolator that we had built from some other shit from Bunnings. And um, that actually worked really well for some reason. I don't know why. It worked so well. and um, Even better than the original Black Arm. Uh, some would Possibly. say. <laughs> <laughs> like it, we filmed something in... Because um, how much does the Black Arm cost? Uh, the kit's like 15 grand. Yeah. For the twin spring kit with all the extra bits and pieces. So yeah, Versus how much did you spend on your makeshift Black Arm? 100 bucks for the first rendition. Um. That worked for a little while. After that, I wanted something a bit more capable and just a bit better. So I hit up my mate Josh, who's like a fabricator and machinist, and he's really good at building stuff. He and I reverse engineered um, the black arm, what we thought. By the way, for people listening, a black arm is the device that you put on a car to film other cars and vehicles and stuff. It's like a metal um thing that holds the camera on the onto the car. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So I should have said that. The black arm is just like this big arm thing, like this mechanical thing that has a spring in it and some hydraulic uh they're like dampers they're called. Mm. And it basically stops the um camera from bouncing up and down. Yeah. And, and then it kind of lets yeah. you attach a gimbal to it and it lets the gimbal kind of just it's very passive, so it lets the gimbal sort of swing its weight around and stuff. And yep. just everything stays super stable. So, yeah. So, anyway, um, we built the second little arm rig thing and that was pretty good. It worked for a while until recently I um, noticed that one of the bolts had cracked and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't really want to use this. Like, it's not – it wasn't super capable. It didn't have the swiveling head on the end. And then I um, remembered that I'd seen an Instagram post from the local – camera rental gear place called Cinema Machine here in Perth and they had one and I went in there and hit them up and I was like, hey, like, we're filming some stuff out in the sand dunes. Could we rent this for the day? And he's like, yeah, sure. So I like, brought it out. Um, we filmed a few things that day. We ended up blowing up one of the dampers in it because we hit a bump really hard and it was a bump that we couldn't see. We were going quite fast at the time. Um, so I brought that back, fixed it. Um, and was then this um, after, you know, we filmed that uh, that car scene with Rye and his um, yes, yeah, nineteen eighty four Galant, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that was after that. Um, this was like twenty twenty one. Started using the black arm. Yeah, been using it ever since. It's just the best tool out so there you for just what it is. You hire it out every time. Yep. A lot of people think we own it, but. I'm not paying 15 grand for something I use yeah. six times a year usually. <laughs> so you you just got sick of using your rig? Or like why, yeah, why it, did you stop using it? It wasn't as capable. So the black arm lets the gimbal sort of swing around and stuff and gives it less stress like on the motors and the parts mm. of it. Um, it's just better engineered overall and it can handle so much. Like I've put it through the ringer that many times. Um around racetracks, on the street, off-road. Um, yeah, you name it, we've probably done it. <laughs> and it, um, I guess it just makes it easier to film stuff and it's yeah. safer. And yeah, so the whole, um, the whole idea was that one time I filmed, as you do, like 
when you just get into filming cars, just like hanging out the window with the gimbal. And I was like, I just thought to myself, it's got to be a better way to do this. So that's when we started looking into like having some kind of rig or something that we can just attach the gimbal to and just kind of sit in the passenger seat. Yep. You're all safe and stuff and you've got more control over the camera. Mm-hmm. And then you can just be on a radio and like call them and be like, hey, like, can you drive left and then like slowly come to the right and we'll move around you and stuff. And it's just yeah. a much easier way to get shots. It's a lot safer. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess uh, be good to kind of think about people listening who might want to get into like filming cars because I have seen in the car community a lot of people like, you know, first they start off with their phone and then maybe they start filming with the DSLR out the window. Um, but I guess, yeah, the next level up is some sort of gimbal on the vehicle. Um, so, yeah, what what kind of advice would you give to people who want to get into that sort of thing? And also, how, mu- how much is it to hire, like, a black arm? Um, it's about – it's just over 300 bucks to hire it. Um, that's per like day. Per day, yep. So, um, but my advice to people who want to get into filming cars is, like, do it, but just think about, like, if there's other cars around you and stuff and you're on the road, just be careful. Like, don't do shit when there's heaps of cars around. Don't do anything stupid. Like, if you're going to go stupid, like, doing skids and stuff, do it where there is nobody on a private road. Yeah. And, yeah, just don't be an idiot. I guess, yeah, that's kind of one thing I've seen, just taking photos in the car community a little bit is, like, Normally, normally it's fine, but yeah, occasionally you get you get people who just don't know um, how to behave. Peanut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, keep it. We keep it professional. Yeah, and in saying that, sometimes there's also like using the rigs isn't always a perfect scenario, as we saw at the end of last year. Um, I think it was a Scorpio arm on a Mercedes camera car in mm. China. The crane operator. Didn't really know where the crane was, I think. And um, that resulted in the camera hitting a pole and dropping the head, or the stabiliser and the camera and everything really far and smashing it. Yeah. And then as they continued driving, they ended up hitting the next pole with the crane again. Um, other accidents I've seen is like... Probably there was one with like a raptor arm. These are just these this, TikTok Yeah, yeah. Accidents, TikTok yeah. ones like they were filming some like full drive. And um, another camera, just the gimbal wasn't latched on properly and there mm-hmm. was no safety cable and it just dropped. It hadn't been oh, latched I on properly. That. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So like when I sit in the car, I have a piece of orange tape over my screen and it says like safety checks, Yeah, which is like for me, there's a safety strap thing that um, ensures that the two points where the suction cups on my car connect to the windows and stuff. Yeah. For all the rigging that we use. Because the, um, the black arm is connected by a suction cup, is it? No. Nah. So basically I've got a few like aluminium poles that are attached to my car with this suction cup system. And then it goes into like a mate- big metal tow hitch. And there's a pole that goes from that. It's kind of hard to explain. Is this but for like, the black arm or is that your own Yeah, rig? yeah. Oh, so you have to use arm. your own rig for the black arm. Yeah, so like the black Why arm that? needs Why something can't you to just... attach to. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it clamps onto like these tubes and then they're all attached to my car. Ah, okay, yep. gotcha. We can check out your Instagram to yeah. see it. Check out the Instagram, you'll see like all the rigging and all that kind of stuff. But um, there's just a few safety things like you want to be careful of. For example, one would be using the safety chain from the black arm to the gimbal. So just in case the little lever thing isn't engaged properly, yeah. If it does slip out, which it can, as we've seen, um, you're not going to drop a very expensive camera package on the ground and smash it to pieces and let it yeah. hit things. Unless it's a red camera, that's all right. Yeah, red's garbage. <laughs> you um, think they're a really good camera, but when you've got to spend like 10 minutes calibrating it and letting it warm up and stuff, they're a bit, uh, bit painful. <laughs> what are you shooting with at the moment? What's your gear? <laughs> What's in Tim's camera bag? At the moment, I'm still using the Blackmagic Pocket 4K. I do use the Red Dragon occasionally, um, but the problem with it is is that it needs a lot of light to not be noisy, 
and um, actually, I've noticed that with the Pocket 4K as well. You need like quite a bit of light. I mean, it's better than the red, but in darker like scenarios, you should yeah. shoot at a lower lower ISO with the Pocket 4K. It's still, it's like quite grainy. Like it's hard to not have the footage grainy with the Pocket 4K in dark. Unless it's really dark, then um, you can just open up the lens a bit and just introduce a bit more light usually. Yeah, use yeah. a, um, like a lower yeah. aperture. No, use a lower ISO. So if it's dark inside, shoot at 400. Don't put it on like a 1,000 because it's really grainy. You can start at around 3,200. That's like the other native ISO on that camera. So it's a lot cleaner in like low light. Okay. At the higher sensitivity. So that camera has like two different sensitivity levels. Yeah. And they kind of like scale up and then it resets. But at the higher end of the lower scale, it's really bad. Okay. Yeah, I haven't used a uh, Blackmagic 4K, but definitely anyone who wants to get into um, like filmmaking and have it actually look quite like professional. Um, you know, I mean like, Cinema cameras are very expensive, um, but the Pocket 4K is like the probably the best budget. Yeah, it's great. Cinema camera. So brand new, they're like two grand. They do need a little bit of extra rigging and stuff like batteries, a cage at least, um, maybe like a top handle or something and a monitor yep. in your suite. But um, for what it is, it's absolute like best bang for buck. It's like second hand, they'd probably be around just over a grand or Yeah, man, like second hand I picked up mine with the speed booster. So it um widens the field of view a bit, like to sort of full frame field of view. And that helps it get more light into the sensor. And I got that with the speed booster. Um I paid like fifteen hundred, I think. Yeah. So it was like wicked value, yeah. How long do the batteries last on the four K? Uh, I shoot with a V-Lock battery, so it lasts like eight hours. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. But the battery that comes with that camera lasts like 30 minutes. Yep. Yeah, so then... So is there no something point. special about the... What is it? A V-Lock battery, is it? They're just like a big block battery, and they use okay, like this system. Okay, so it actually like... System. It fits in under... Like it's oversized battery. Yeah, yeah. So you can fit it like under the camera, or you can put... Like get the rails for the camera, and the little battery mounting thing on the back of the rails... Yep. And just clip it onto that and you sweat. Do you shoot um, handheld stuff as well just with the rig? Obviously, you can't really use a gimbal with the... I guess the 4K is quite small. Do you use a gimbal with it or you just yeah, do handheld? Do. Yeah. Okay, what do you use? Um, I just use like a Ronin RS2 for like the easier gimbal stuff. But on the car, I'll use a DJI Ronin 2 that I own as well. Okay. But um, to run the pocket on that, because the pocket is a weird form factor, um, I run a few counterweights to get the camera sitting further back and um, balance it out, and it's pretty sweet on there, I've found so far. Okay, fair enough. Um, also, I want to talk about that shoot you did in Lancelin with the buggies. So tell us about that shoot. So that was the first time we um, shot... First time we shot off-road and then um, it was a thing with a mate's buggy and I hit him up and I was like, hey, like, do you want to film some stuff off-road and in the dunes we can just go, we can go pretty quick and like just see what it looks like, just try it out. And he's like, yeah, sure. So we all drove up to Lancelin one morning and um, we rigged up another Can-Am buggy with the camera and all the rigging and stuff, put the black arm on the back. Mind you, this is the first time we had done this. Um and we drove around for a while and it was, we just got like these wicked results. It was so good. And then, yeah, it was so, so much fun. <laughs> what was your rig for that? Um, so that day we used the black arm um, and then the Ronin 2 gimbal and then just my pocket 4K on it. Yeah. The, I ran a polarizer filter that day. I was like, oh, why did I do that? Because it made the sky look like real weird in shots. Right. Obviously, you know, using a polarizer, the sky will look a bit cooked in some shots but i just wanted to see if it had kind of cut more reflections off the bar work of the buggy oh, okay. and the panels because they're a um like a sort of glossy plastic on some of them and then some of the other panels were matte so i wanted to see yeah. if it would kind of cut a bit of that gloss 
Yeah, so it's was it, it was more like a test sort of shoot. You just wanted to do it for yeah. fun and like see what the results come. Yeah, how they look. Yep. And um, have you had like gotten much work from like the videos you've been putting out and stuff in terms of like filming cars? Like you've, I guess you got, yeah, you've filmed quite a few cars now, but yeah, you're getting work from it or yeah, yeah, we're getting a fair bit of work from it now. Um. <clears throat> We're getting a fair bit of work from it now. Um, and I can't even think. Because you also did the, the, Audi, the uh, yeah. Audi video as well. That was quite good. Yeah, so that was a like a proper spec for the Audi S3 that my mate had bought literally two days prior to that. So basically we had that whole car, that car the whole weekend and just shot a few bits uh, like a Friday night. And then the Saturday night we... Um, Went around, we found some spots that were pretty good for shooting and got some awesome shots of that. And um, do you plan to? Because like that's that's like um, very professionally done video. So like, I mean, even it could be like an Audi ad. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, do you plan to get kind of car yeah. brands hitting you up to like film stuff like that? Yeah. So. Usually the way it works with like a car commercial, they'll go through a big agency um, and they'll kind of just hire the people they usually will take who've probably done it before. Um, So I don't really see myself kind of just doing that. Um, Oh man, I don't know how to answer that. Like would you do it yourself i guess you'd need like nah, a whole crew together I do, yeah like i need a team of people like i need a camera assistant a driver safety um supervisor usually there'll be like a script supervisor yeah i don't and, even like, know how the agencies do it stuff. do you know like how agencies manage all that like on the roads and yeah so you have like um rolling escorts sometimes or they'll shut down roads completely yeah from what i've seen yeah I've worked on one uh, commercial where we had a process trailer. So the car was sitting on the back of a trailer. And that's how you'd film like talking and dialogue and stuff. Yep. So the actors aren't driving. It's a way safe way to do it. Um, and yeah, they just kind of like chill in the car. And it's like basically a truck will tow them around. Oh, okay. So it's not actually driving. The camera yep. and stuff like that. Yeah, they're not driving at all. Do they ever, I guess, because when you see these car ads, there are videos of them driving on the road. Yeah, so there'll so be people driving and then they'll usually cut to, like, the process trailer shot. So it'll be, like, someone's, like, an actual driver, like, train driver is driving the car oh, yeah. around and stuff. Yeah, 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 okay. Depending on what kind of, if it's performance or, like, a family vehicle ad, like, it'd be different. But, um, yeah, there'll be someone driving it and then they'll kind of cut to, like, a family shot where it's, like, all the family in, like, an SUV or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and that's done on the back of a truck and the truck just tows them around. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Mm. Um. And then revved up TV. That's like one of your recent projects that you did with a mate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us about that. So um, my friend Lathika, he loves storytelling as much as I do, and um, he is a very good car photographer here in Perth. And we both decided that we'd start like a bit of a YouTube channel um, where we find people with cars. Uh, interesting cars and they've got interesting stories usually to tell about these cars so um yeah we filmed two episodes so far and i saw some statistics today that he had sent me yeah from like the analytics and that and we'd had like four hundred and fifty-five thousand impressions so far and like, that there's a lot the, of engagement on the, for the real or well. for the youtube nah, video? so the actual two youtube videos oh really we put out a couple of reels so how many views has that has uh Maybe the one with the Ford GT40. Yeah, so the GT40 had um, like 15,000 views, I think, on Sunday. Well. So it had been up for a month. It had had that many views. I'm just checking right now here on my phone. There's 18,000 now. Wow. Um, The Aventador, we only just put it up. That's got 500. But the Aventador was a fun thing to film as well they're both really fun to film um so like you filmed it you made like the youtube video and then like from uploading the tiktok which got like 2.4 million views that kind of made people want to go watch the full youtube yeah. video yeah so um 
I posted a BTS video while I was filming one of the shots for the GT40. And uh, my mate Christian just filmed this little clip of me like doing some stuff on the controller, looking at the screen, and then he kind of pans around to the actual car itself so you can yeah. see on the screen and then the car itself. And um, that had 2.4 million views on like Instagram Reels, which is, it was insane. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it was a lot of, um, the engagement on that video was nuts. Why do you think it did so well? I think because it shows the process of me like, Commute. I was. I had the radio as well, and I'm like talking to Paul, who was driving the car, and then you see me like adjusting the focus a little bit and like kind of panning and tilting the camera some, a bit, and then you hear like pans around. You see the actual car itself. And you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, it's like yeah, maybe it's a super rare car as well, um, and it is also very very famous. The car. Yeah, the car yep. and like the way it's painted, the livery. Oh, yeah. It's also very famous. Um, so, there are a lot of factors that kind of come into that little 10-second yeah. clip. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, that was the other thing. Like, when I noticed when you're filming, you also have, like, the radio system, which is important as well, so then you can communicate with the driver. Yeah. Um, I guess, what are, like, the basic ingredients for, like, a car video that you need? So, I'll use Revved Up TV as an example. Um, what we'll do when we're filming rolling shots, we have radios... There will be a car ahead of us um, driving to basically it's kind of like a rolling roadblock. So there's a car in front of us and they're checking the way, make sure no one's coming or no one's, you know, there might be someone on a motorbike just flying down the road as there can be in Perth sometimes. Um, And then they'll tell us if there's anything up ahead that we should be aware of. And then I basically communicate with whoever's driving the car that we're filming and then I'm on the controls as well and I can do whatever, you know. Yep. And then um, usually it's Lath driving uh, for Revved Up. He'll be driving the camera car so he can hear what we're talking about as well over the radios. Okay. So, yeah, it's just a big safety thing because obviously cars and road accidents can very easily be quite, uh, like, they can be fatal and stuff. And yeah. Can, yeah. So safety is... Tim's number one priority. It is. (laughs) Um, And then with the Ford GT40 car, um, can you give us a bit of a background about how you kind of found this guy with his story and what's the video about? Give the video a bit of context before people might want to go watch it and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Lathika lived in um, Joondalup. And nearby is a licensing centre and he was literally walking home one day and saw this car on the side of the road and he's like, oh shit, like it's a GT40 and it had like the, it's got the full golf racing livery. It's blue with like big orange stripes and stuff. You cannot miss it. It's, it's an incredible looking car. But um, he saw it and posted on this photo. It's like interesting cars of Perth on this Facebook group. Yeah. And um the guy who owned it, Paul, commented on it. He's like, oh, that's my car. I just got it licensed today. And he's like, oh, really? That's cool. And we went out and we actually shot some photos with Paul. And then Lath mentioned that we're going to start a YouTube channel and yeah. that's kind of where it went from. Okay. And um, I guess what is the story about? Is it about like how he got the car or the story behind the car and that sort of yeah. thing? Yeah. So the car is a replica kit that the guy who owns it actually imports and sells. He's the um, approved distributor for Australia. So um, he imported that car two years ago as like a kit. So um, basically it's the body of the vehicle comes in one container and then the wheels. um, He said like the wheels and I think the steering wheel or something come in a separate container. Otherwise it would be classed as a complete car even though it's not assembled. Yeah. Um, he spent two years building it. Like building the it, car. Yeah. So, so he, bu- he actually built that car. Yeah, it comes as like a kit and he had it painted by the factory um, that makes them because he wanted to show people who are going to buy it. Like Where is the factory? South Africa. So, uh, so they make the body. They build the body and then you buy it as just like a kit. So it's like the body and the panels. Okay. And you've got to buy the wheels. Is that a Ford? That separately. So it's it's not a Ford uh, manufacturing center in South Africa. No. It's like Ford registered or 
Um, they they say it's, you... it's like a replica. Oh, so do I they have really to be know. registered or anything? Or I don't think so. No, okay. they just they build kits. Okay, so it's like a kit. I think kit cars are different. So um, yeah, but that's basically the deal. Is like you buy it and then you buy the engine, gearbox, and wheels separately. So he's got a gearbox from this old Audi. The engine is called a Coyote motor and that came from over east he bought it off a guy who um tunes and like sells them and that got the wheels sourced them and it's about like two years sort of piecing it together little by little oh yeah um and then he just spent time like thinking about all these small details which are really well thought out just like anything you needed yeah it's in there even like a point just to like the battery of the car into a trickle charger is there. Like it's all there. Wow. Mm. And um, yeah, what was the process of making that video? Um, first day we shot the interview. So we did an interview and a few static shots and a few, the, the drive-by shot from the intro of that video yep. we shot one day and then we had to come back the next week and we shot all the rolling shots and some of that drone stuff as well. Yep. Cool. And how long did it take you to put the whole thing together? Um, I think there's about 35 hours of editing Well, on the clock. Yeah. There's a lot of work. Like the interview wasn't too hard, but we do have to cut it from about 45 minutes of talking to about 12. Yeah. For YouTube just to keep it around that like 12, 13 minute mark. So it's almost like a mini documentary. Yeah. Essentially. Oh, that's pretty cool. No, I think those types of videos like do tend to do really well on YouTube. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited to see where you guys go with that channel. So there's how many videos are up at the moment? We've got two at the moment. Two? Okay. Yeah. And uh, then also wanted to yeah talk about the, the Green Lambo video. Yes, so um, we weren't actually meant to film that car. The man who owns it, um, basically the whole idea for that video was about his Ferrari that he owns yep. and like his relationship with Ferrari and how he built that relationship because you kind of have to build a bit of a relationship with him to own this particular model that he had. Was it an older model? No, it's called a 458 Speciale. It's not too old. Um but to own them, you've kind of had to own other Ferraris beforehand to qualify to purchase. So, wow. um, yeah. <laughs> um, but basically that day we got to the house, it was on a um, on a hoist. And after a bit of uh, fault finding, we got the hoist down and then he went to turn the car on and the battery had died, <laughs> which is a common Ferrari issue because they have very small batteries in them. Mm. And basically, we're like, all right, well, we can't do this. So, um, what else are we going to film? And we're like, oh, how about the Aventador? And he was like, oh, yeah, I think we can do that. Like, I kind of spent the morning um, planning my answers around this whole Ferrari thing. So, we kind of had to, like, change it up a fair bit. But he did a really good job. And that's, like, my favourite project I've worked on so far. Uh-huh. So is yeah. that for was that for Revved Up TV? Yeah, that and was like Revved Up TV. Is that full video on YouTube or not yet? Yeah, it's up now. Okay. So it's a the story behind that car is that it's pays the homage to the Lamborghini Miura. Um and it was the fiftieth fiftieth anniversary of that car. So they came out in eighteen colours and there was an option to have a green or gold like stripe kind of thing on the bottom yep. of it and that was the 18 original colors that the Miura came with from factory 50 years ago um and his one was green with the gold which is one of one in the world wow. which is pretty cool like it's super unique it sounds incredible it's very nice to sit in <laughs> <laughs> as a um as i found out while we were doing the sound recording i sit in the car with the yeah. mics on the car yeah and um yeah Oh, you, is that for the sound design? Yeah. Like you, you record the engine sound and overlay it on the video mm. later? Yeah. So like when we film cars, we film all the rollers and we'll kind of do the audio separately. So I have to think about how the car sounds and how it looks because you don't want it to be just 
crawling down the street and revving like a lot. It um, doesn't look and sound right, if that makes sense. But, um, yeah, so, like, we go in the car and I'll be like, oh, I'll get you to slowly build up power and then, like, put your foot down or, like, just really, like, plant it and go through the gears, um, just depending on, like, the kind of shots that we've got and what we want it to look like. How do you record that sound? Do you just have a mic near the engine, in the engine, or is it with you in the car? So to do that, what I do, I have the recorder in my lap, I've got my headphones, and then we run a few cables. So generally I'll have one mic near the uh, exhaust and another one near like the on intake. Like on the outside of the car? Yep. The other one's on the intake of the engine usually or around the intake. And so like if it's a turbo engine, you're kicking up like all the turbo sounds and the induction. Um, for the How do you make sure aspirated. it doesn't peak? So uh, the recorder I have is 32-bit float audio, which is like raw audio. So if it clips a bit, you can actually pull it back. Okay. Yeah, which is So you just make sure it's handy. not as sensitive. Yeah, and like generally near the exhaust, um, I have this thing called a pad, which I plug into the microphone and it drops the level 10 dB. Yep. So... It's not too loud, and if it's a little bit quiet, I can always pick it up in post. Yeah. Yeah. Is there kind of a rule of thumb you use when you're recording these kind of sounds? Like maybe it, you want it to peak at like 50% or... Nah, because it's like the audio data is like raw. You can just pull you it can back. Kinda, okay. Yeah, you can generally pull most of it back. Um, as a rule, though, I'd try to not clip it when we're recording just because you get, like, the best amount of dynamic range out of the sound. Yeah. I don't really know heaps about the sound. Um, <laughs> what are you using to record the sound? What device? Uh, it's called a Mix Pre 3. It's made by Sound Devices. Okay. And then I use a um, Sennheiser, I think it's like an MK3, MKE 600 mic, and that's like a shotgun, which is pretty good for all the exhaust stuff. And then we use another Sennheiser mic, I can't remember the name. And that's usually a bit better for the induction stuff because it just picks up everything. Is that like a lapel or? No, nah, it's like a, it's called a condenser mic. Or oh, okay, it's just like one of those little <coughs> devices with the. It's like just like a regular kind of mic. It looks yeah. like a regular microphone. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then how did you go about filming the Lambo? Like what are the shots you got and like why did you film those shots specifically? Um, during the interview, um, Asan, the owner of that car, was talking about the road presence that the car has. So while we were filming that, in my mind, I was trying to think of how I can best show its road presence. Um, I shot everything with that car. It was on a 35mm lens. Yep. I use Zeiss Contacts Primes, which are quite old. The design has survived a few world wars. Um, the ones I own are about 40 years old, I think. Yep. And they're still in pretty good nick. They got a cool like, wow. vintage look to them. It's a bit more unique than just your Sony G Masters and stuff. Um, no, no hate to a Sony <laughs> users, but uh, I just like the look of it, and that's it's just my thing. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I thought about the road presence of that car a lot while we we're filming. So I'd got like a few really wide shots of it, just kind of by itself driving down the freeway, and that was really cool. Um, and then we got like this splitting shot at the start of that video where we're driving side by side and he goes off like an exit ramp thing and that actually comes back to where we're filming on the freeway. So we split yep. and you can see uh, you got like a cool parallax effect with like all the barrier of the road and trees and stuff and then he comes all the way back. I pull the focus back in and we come really close to him and then we um, be driving side by side for a while after that, which is pretty cool. Nice. And then we got like probably the other favourite shot we got, we um crossed over three lanes and we're kind of pushing in and I'll be like reeling the focus back and then we wrapped around so the camera like goes from the side, slowly pans around to the front as we're pushing in. Sick. Was it pretty smooth when you shot that? Yeah, it was super smooth. That's really cool. Um, and then the other car clip that I saw that was actually made a really cool reel was the Nissan GTR. Yeah. That car's pretty cool. It's um it's on airbags. It's had all kinds of work done to it. It's got this really super deep purple wrap which um man, it's so hard to film because <laughs> to 
to get like the color of that wrap, you really need a lot of like just a lot of light. Um, so I shot that with the Red Dragon, um, just knowing that I had like a bit of extra dynamic range. Um, it helped me get a bit more of the purple, which some places it did, some places it didn't, just because of the environment that we're in and um, the weather that day. It actually ended up raining at one point, which you can kind of see in the video. But, um, yeah, that was a fun shoot. But that car's insane. Like, it shot, like, some big flames. Um, it's a really cool colour. And then we also got this really cool shot where we're on the freeway and we're just driving down the freeway and then we kind of take the camera car from the left lane to the right lane. Uh, no, right lane to the left lane. As we're doing that, it, the camera's kind of parallaxing around that car and then in the background there's a train and it's slowly overtaking the car as well. Like as we're going down the freeway, that's a sick shot. Yeah, so it's good when you like bringing like these different elements. You yeah. So just make it more interesting, hey? Yeah, so one thing I learned was to use, um, as DP called Ross Metcalf told me this, he was like, you should use the environment more when you're shooting cars because it just helps create so much more interesting um, looking scenes. 100%. That's what I use with my all my photography. I actually put more thought into the environment than anything else. Mm. Like Especially with portraits, for example, like people... So many photographers like don't even think about the background of the portrait and it just it makes so much difference when you have like a background that matches the look that you're going yeah. for. Probably the same with cars as well. 100%. That's why like I don't like shooting wide open because it's like... Yeah, um, blurs the background. There's, there's no point, yeah, blurring a background. And I mean, that's... I feel like when you get... I used to shoot portraits... And when I was getting into it, I just shoot wide open, so it's like you couldn't see the background, mm. if like much or at all. It's like a is a good thing, I guess, if you're a beginner and like you're just yeah. focusing on the person. That's why with the beginner portraits, you do see more kind of blurred backgrounds typically. But yeah. when when you get more advanced, then you learn about bringing the background into the frame. Kinda, and yeah, using wanna, it. Yeah, you want to use it a bit more to your advantage in the composition. Um, and if it's a really pretty background, then, like, why blur it out so much? Yeah. It doesn't really make much sense to me, so... So yeah. what environment did you use for the Nissan GTR? Uh, we shot at Canning Dam. So the intro shots are, like, um, the valley is one, and then it's, like, you can see the dam in the background. It's all static shots of the car just sitting there. It airs out and sits down. Um, then the next few shots are like going through this little foresty tunnel down the road there near the dam. That was really nice. Um, that took like probably, it took a few takes because it got really wet at one point and my lens was just getting sprayed oh, with yeah. overspray. Um, and we just wanted a few different angles. So we spent a little bit of time there and then we drove down the freeway and got some nice um, twilight shots there. Um, just as the, sun do, as the sun was going down, that was really cool. And then um, got to the city where it was very dark and the camera was absolutely battling with the lack of light. Yeah. Um, red being red, it needs a lot of light. Like, So you just expected the red to have that dynamic range? Nah, not, not particularly. Like it, it doesn't really have the sensitivity okay. kind of to start with. It's got the range, but it does, it just does need a bit of extra light to help it. Why is that? Is that just because it's shooting? It's just like absolute raw. Sort yeah, of footage? partially. So most cameras will like kind of process the video as they're recording, whereas the red, like I don't completely know yeah. this. I don't have the best understanding of the codec. I just kind of what are you presuming? Shoot it. Yeah. No, but um, it has less processing, so it is raw. Um, so you do have to denoise it anyway. But um, I had to denoise it a little bit more heavily. Um, there's there are guys who. Why would you even <laughs> buy red? Like I know it has so much yeah. hype around it. There are like if it, if it if it doesn't, you know, if it struggles with that kind of lighting, that just just feels like it would be very difficult to work with that camera. Well, the thing is, is that they're more designed for film sets where there are oh, okay lighting. And, yeah, yeah, not really so much cars. So. What do you think is uh, the best cinema camera for filming cars? Like maybe it can even be a camera that you want to get. Like maybe, and maybe it's a camera with a better dynamic range. 
I mean, for what I do, the pocket has been Echo great. Pocket. Yeah. Uh, even in low light? Yeah. Yep. It's got good low light sensitivity with the dual native ISO thing. Yeah. Um, I would prefer an Arri Alexa Mini, but uh, yep. they're a bit out of reach at the moment. Yeah. Quite expensive. But um, really, like, you don't need an amazing or super expensive camera. Like, you can still shoot with a phone. You can get great results. So it's more about like how you use your tools rather yeah, than the tools you I use. I guess what you want to use it for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if I was going to shoot something that was going on a big screen, I'd probably use the Alexa. Yeah. I'm just shooting social media stuff for fun, like nothing wrong with a phone. And um, you were a part-time or full-time Sparky, like just, yeah. just talking about earning an income as a creative. Mm. Um. And then did you stop? You said you mentioned you stopped last year. Yeah, so I actually stopped the year before, but um, things were a little bit slow parts of last year. So I was like, oh, well, I got a spare five days. I can go up north and work on a shutdown. Um, working in mining can be good, can be a bit. So you were doing FIFO? Yep. Yeah, so it's FIFO. Um, I only did two shutdowns last year, but after the last one, I was like, man, this is so annoying. Like, I'm just going to like triple down on um, what I'm doing and yeah, just hustle a lot harder. I was going like, there's points where like you kind of go hard, but then I'd like burn, I keep sort of burning out and yeah. now I've worked out a way to burn out less and just manage my time and stuff better. And it's working tenfold better for me now. So yeah. Oh yeah. What's that? What's um, It's a secret I learned off my good friend Bez from, um, Bez Media, but I can't really share that secret because it's kind of between us. Oh, what? (laughs) (laughs) But I'd say it's more just time management um, and shout out to Bez for teaching me how to fish and not just giving me fish as well. It's been... um, This is secret uh, insider knowledge. We're going to put a $50 paywall (laughs) and you can find it (laughs) the information. Um, I will just say pace yourself, guys. Yeah, definitely pace yourself. Don't um, don't think that you can work twelve hour days forever because it just fucks your body up, fucks your mind up. Um, yeah, like, and I, like myself, I've always been very active as well, and I found that um, being physically active, you need time to recover, and working, and like as creatives and freelancers and all that, you want to um give yourself time to recover so you can come back stronger the next day and all that. Don't just burn out. <laughs> <laughs> so drink Red Bull. No, do not drink Red Bull. That'll, it's not that good for you. Um, and what kind of like freelance work are you getting to kind of have the income now? It's more like corporate sort of stuff rather than cars. Cause I guess the end goal would be to get to feel more, cars or vehicles and stuff that you're passionate about yeah so the end goal is definitely filming like a high-end car commercial of some sort um the funny thing with that is that most high-end cars don't really need a commercial they kind of sell themselves um but like um just i want to be filming like really mm. cool car stuff that's getting seen everywhere um and then also like impactful um say like videos that has an impact yeah yeah things you actually care about that sort of thing Mm. it's like what sort of thing i want to do there's a few stories i probably wouldn't share but i might um i've been considering doing a little like shooting like a short feature kind of thing about these stories of stuff i've uh, experienced with friends and that okay just like (laughs) stories and just personal filmmaking stuff yeah, like oh, yeah. documentaries. Um, it'd be more documentary stuff. Yeah, documentaries. Also. Yeah, like uh, just I, I personally love a good documentary, like especially on YouTube. Like half the time I'm watching documentaries, and I think there's so many local stories and that sort of thing that kind of be amazing to see those being told rather than like you know the, the documentaries you see it's like overseas and that sort of thing. You don't see too many documentaries coming out of yeah Perth or WA. Yeah. I recently watched a really good one about um, a, 
I'm going to get this wrong. I think he was a gridiron, gridiron player that um, suddenly passed away, but that was directed by this guy called Joe Wilkie. And that was a really good documentary. I found that. Oh, yeah. Very, um, it was very emotional, but um, it, was very, it was very good, yeah. Where yeah, there's, um, I know there's a docuseries on Disney Plus called Shipwreck Hunters. It's by like a sandbox, which is a WA film yes. company. It's pretty cool. Have you heard yes. about that one? I have heard about that. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. And um, also I was going to say, if you want to get into filming cars, probably what I would advise to like kind of get your foot in the door is like you can always find now with the age of like social media there'll be certain influences and i've seen like you know local influences that maybe they have like 20 or 50k even maybe less followers that do like a partnership with a car like maybe be like a bmw thing and normally they just take photos but if yeah. you like build some sort of connection with influencers or an influence influencer that it's going to work with a car, then at least you can say, hey, this is like done for BMW. You can, they can see your work. And um, I think that's like a good way to get into it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's things where like they've had like influences and they'll kind of give them like a car, more like a lifestyle thing. I think Mazda have been doing it yeah, recently yeah, with Mazda people, has, which yeah. is pretty cool. Like, and it's great for them. They're getting the UGC content that everybody craves and loves but like um, imagine you know how they normally Mazda just expects like an Instagram post off the phone yeah but they don't I mean they wouldn't quality. mind if it's high quality that'd be even impressive if it was high quality so yeah, if you like course. connected with some sort of influence and be like hey I can make you like this actual very high end ad shows you shows the car everything and then like Mazda shares it or posts it mm. might even like you know Build some sort of connection for you as well. Could do, yeah. Could do. I think that's one way. Also, this app I found recently um, for people who are looking to work with brands called Vamp. And uh, they just have like brands on there all the time. Like, um, I'm just going to open it up now. Like, and I think it's just, it's a good way to, for creatives to like start small and then like pick like what sort of brand you want to like start working with yeah haven't seen any car brands on here but there's like there's like boss watch there's like adobe that's cool i like watches yeah so you can like tap on this isn't sponsored at all but it's just i thought that was cool to like for creators to start working the brands you like tap on it and then like it'll it'll pay you to create content for them actually i got hit up so like Um, oh shit that's pretty cool so i could make a tiktok for like 300 bucks or yeah shit (laughs) Or Instagram post for 75 bucks, but like, it's called Vamp. Yep. That's cool. I actually got hit up by a recent one, funnily enough, for sports supplements, which I don't really use. Um, but I found it very interesting. It was like the platform has all kinds of brands and stuff on there that you can just create content for. And it was so easy. It's like just a tripod on a phone standing oh, yeah. near a window. What's it called? It's called Incense. They have like a app and a youtube channel at the moment i'd like just checked it out quickly but uh seemed interesting yeah i think uh a lot has changed you know even maybe since we started filming like there's so many opportunities to actually work with yeah bigger brands now and it's it's only getting it's more accessible easier and more accessible um even literally in the past like five years it's just like with tiktok and everything um yeah opportunities to work with like big international brands has gotten yeah more accessible so it's pretty exciting oh, yeah yeah they just want that like story that's relatable for their product for people like i don't know example girl skincare something like you know <laughs> <laughs> oh it's relatable so, like yeah. say if you had like really dry skin um and you know you see that and someone's talking about it and you're like oh i relate to that yeah like, exactly mine's always dry i'll might try this moisturizer, you know, yeah. like stuff like that. Hundred percent, yeah. I think ads have just become more and more, yeah, related words. You were saying like they, they don't, they're not even necessarily using big high end cameras now. So it's they just a phone, owned, yeah, because they just want someone to do a little vlog. Like, hey, I use this skin. Like, it makes it look more real. It feels more real, and it's it's all about the story. Like 
you can still do a high production commercial, like high production value, but I think the most value comes from the story. Yeah. That's what I'm doing with all my clients, like just creating something more relatable um, for their target audience. Yeah. And, um, yeah, no, that's the most, that's the most important so. thing for sure, the story. I think it's uh, there's different markets and with these different markets the, there's different types of media that fits better. So like if you're on Instagram, scrolling Instagram, you want to see a type, like a piece of content that looks like what you're already seeing. Like if you're on Instagram or scrolling on TikTok and you see this high quality ad mm. and it doesn't look like everything you'd like, okay, that's an ad, you're more likely to scroll. But if it's filmed with a phone. Yeah. Because um, you can, people like, nah, you don't notice a difference, but like, you do because it feels more realistic. But what comes with that is usually the story as well. Like yeah. the story is what drives it. Like some ads, like the ads that have done the best are always story or they're just really interesting. Like that Honda Odyssey ad was like car parts rolling and like mm. bumping into each other. And then the next thing would like roll and cause like this little gadget to like spin. And then it hits like a ball, the ball runs down a track and then it hits something, you know? That's a really old ad. That's from like 04. Mm. And then the other one, which you'd probably remember, was the Cadbury ads. Yeah. Like the girl with the eyebrows oh, yeah, doing yeah, the yeah, eyebrow yeah, thing. And then like, I'm pretty sure they had Gorilla playing drums. Yeah. And another one, they were just like, people saw them. They're like, oh, he's like, did you see that? Like, yeah. You know, back when everyone used to watch TV. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I think it's just old people that watch TV now. Um, so. Like what's what are you working on at the moment? Have you got anything lined up? Um, I'm working with a like a car collector at the moment. Um, doing a restoration video. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, there's a few other projects, a um, bit of corporate stuff, stuff mm-hmm. like that that keeps you earning an income. Oh yeah. Oh, the other thing I was gonna ask is like what what's excited you the most about? Um, the recent cars that have been coming out, like obviously in the past couple of years, uh, EV vehicles, electric vehicles have like shot up and become more and more popular. Cars like Tesla and now you have like other cars like following that trend. Mm. What What's exciting you or not excited? What are you not excited about? Or Not excited about Teslas because just like toasters, they come in four colours. But um, there's still a lot of cool cars being developed. Um, Toyota with the GR vehicles, like there's even a Land Cruiser GR, which is kind of cool. Because um, you know they're all going to be electric at some point. Unfortunately, like, yes. Why? Why don't you? Why aren't you a fan of EVs? <laughs> um, we won't get too deep into that. But yes, um, we will. <laughs> petrol just sounds a lot better than the rush of air. But here's the thing, with a Tesla, you can um, you can choose any car sound, and you can you can make your Tesla sound like any car at any volume. You can, if that's what you want, then you can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. So then it's not about the sound, is it? It's not about the it sound. It's Tim all just kinds loves of the it smell of the petrol. In the yeah. <laughs> It could just be the story or how the car makes you feel. Like, you know, you're driving a Range Rover. It's a status Mm. symbol car, same as like Rolls Royces. They're very status symbol cars. I think it's just the common, uh, it's a thing with like anything. If you're used to um, even being a filmmaker, for example, as soon as TikTok came around and we had to make crappy little videos with our phone, everyone's like, like so annoyed like this is the new thing this is the way it's got to be but then like eventually you just got to like accept it which is the same with anything i guess yeah just but you can shoot vertical i'm not against shooting vertical okay. i do it i crop vertical i wouldn't shoot vertical i just crop wide so you shoot quite wide yeah but then at the same time it's like you're kind of losing vertical is a very different such a different look because when you shoot vertical you don't really have much room either side to make a decent composition. Everything's very narrow. I find it easier to make good videos in vertical because you don't have to use all the frame. Yeah, that's right. Like it's it can be a lot easier though. But then sometimes you're like, oh, I kind of want to get like a little yeah. bit of that in. Like, ah. 
It still works though. Um, that's about all we got time for. So thanks so much, Tim, for Cheers. coming on the podcast. Um, where can people find you and see all the stuff that you're making? Um, you can find me on THW Visuals on Instagram and TikTok and uh, Revved Up TV on YouTube. And on iloveelectricvehicles.com. Maybe. <laughs> um, thanks so much Tim We'll catch you next time I'm going to leave all the links In the description below cool. Peace out Thanks for having me